Hey guys, what's up? It is week 355. Let's hop into the reviews. The first one up is going to be Fire and Ice, um, but this one is it's uh, basically under the Radiance title. It's the original French title, La Combat dans la Lille. Um, French is the worst for me, and it's like, well, maybe you should do some research and look it up, and I probably should have. But uh, yeah, this one is 1961, and it stars Jean-Louis uh, Trigrignon. Uh, Rignon, I believe is how you say his name. I've learned that before, but probably forgotten. Rami Schneider, who is in Ghost of Love from 1981, really good film. Uh, so basically, this is kind of like a political love story, romantic thriller deal. We have uh, John Louis and Rami Schneider are a couple. And John Louis is kind of the uh, son of somebody with money, kind of uh, runs a factory, I believe, some respect in the community. And basically, he is, a, I think he would be more of a considered a, a conser- like ultra anti-communist, um, almost conservative, like right-wing kind of political activist. But he starts to get involved with a group of people who are obviously trouble. There's one guy who's kind of leading him on and showing him the ropes and all these things. And one day he decides to have him carry out a horrific crime and assassination um at one point this is where him and rami schneider after this is carried out run to hide out in this uh secluded farmhouse with one of john louis old friends childhood friends they're great friends and uh there starts to be a relationship kind of blossom between rami schneider and this old friend nothing can really happen because obviously john louis and the history they all have but when john louis runs away to escape uh, prison and all the things that he's done and get revenge for the act, um, that love does blossom and create a really messed up love triangle. And it's not going to end there. You know, it starts off with the violence in generated an anger towards you know a political movement or that way but by the end of it it's violence generated at each other and the loss of a love and things like that um the acting's great everybody the three big stars in here are all tremendous the cinematography's good there's no no low points in in terms of quality of filmmaking uh i really do think that the story is kind of the strongest point it's interesting um and how it unfolds is also well done uh john louis uh, you really don't like him he is just, he's an actor who I've seen more and more in. All these French films I'm watching, he just is pretty much that guy. He's probably like their quintessential actor. He's such an, uh, at the time, he's one of these guys that's just in everything. He always does a tremendous job. He's always reliable. And he's not afraid to play scummy people. He's been in a couple of Radiance uh, Films releases. And he plays these unlikable characters that are pretty, uh, you know, infamous from the 60s and especially the 70s. And he's always there and he's always done a good job from Giallo to Romance. So I would recommend checking out this one. Um, I, I would say, what is it? Fire and Ice. Yeah, that's the term that I'm going to use. Uh, as far as the special features are, concern we have 2k restoration interview with alan uh, calvier playing dead a commentary featurette by calvier interview with star john louis Tri- uh, rignon the uh, suc- um what is this succulence of fruit interview with french critic philippe roger or philippe uh, on american Culliver's first short film france 1961 short film and then we have trailer uh gallery optional english subtitles and a booklet of course yeah this is region a b locked it's a good film nice booklet beautiful looking movie too and everybody in it looks gorgeous as they are french so there we go 
Okay, we have a huge switch here. We just went from a classy French film to a trashy, or I'd say not trashy, but super low-budget SOV movie from SRS 1996, Tear of the Master. Yeah, and this is one funny thing that I've realized about so many SOS movies or low-budget films, especially from you know the, the late 80s, early 90s, or 90s in general. It's kind of towards the tail end of, the, I would say, the, the SOV heyday, if you will. But uh, what we have here is a journalist. There's always a journalist, right? In almost so many horror stories because you're like, I think people just start writing and they're like, who the hell would be interested in this? Who would risk their life for this? And you're like, well, journalist. Well, it's not a good story. They'll do anything. So basically that's where it goes. On a low budget, you could do a, a struggling journalist. So what we have is a, a, a series of people being kidnapped in this small town. They don't know what's going on. This journalist starts to look into it. She's always overshadowed by her colleague, who's this big douchebag guy, always trying to get the story before, always rubbing it in her face. You know the guy. So essentially, she kind of stumbles on something when she's at a, a convenience store, like a, an In-N-Out Mart at a gas station or something along those lines, and she starts to focus on who this person is. Um, and she realizes that this person could possibly be kidnapped. As she digs deeper, she brings in some friends and some other people along the way, and they realize that there is more than meets the eye. This isn't just your ordinary kidnapping ring. There is somebody in the mist, the midst here. And then and you see the fangs there. It's a, it's a vampire. Yeah, that's right. Tear of the Master. So a vampire. Um, there's this big elaborate, uh, you know, exposition dump at one point when we figure out who the vampire that it, the person is a vampire, and they basically tell their entire backstory, and it's like super low rent kind of interview with a vampire. Same year, interview with the vampire is '94. This is '96, so I can't help but think that this took inspiration from interview with the vampire, possibly pulling from it, especially the the kind of wannabe like period piece stuff that they do. I mean, it's not horrible, but it's very low budget, um, and it also sets up for um, something that's going to happen in the end of the movie. Uh, overall, it's okay. It's a very low-budget movie. Some of the acting is very shaky. The, the special effects really are, you know, they're not great. There's some digital, if I remember correctly, that's pretty poor. Overall, it's a very low-budget uh, SOV movie. Um, it's not the worst thing you'd ever see. It's a story that actually, it actually has a story. It's not just a lot of people just going out and having fun. They're attempting to tell a real story, a dramatic story. And it succeeds in some parts. You know, I'm going to be brutally honest. It's not my favorite SOV movie. It doesn't swing for the fences, but uh, it doesn't strike out every time either. Let's put it that way. Um, so, Tear of the Master. There we go. Um, as far as the special features are concerned, we have a bonus short of theater and bikinis, and we have a director's commentary. It's a relatively short film, as a lot of these should be. Next up from Severn Films is Blood Moon. From 1989-1990, Australian flick. And this is one that I probably bought on VHS, bought on DVD, and now here it is on Blu-ray getting reviewed by yours truly. Blood Moon. Uh, yeah, this movie is absolutely ridiculous. Right when it started, I was like, is this like a, has like a kind of like a TV flair to it? Like it feels like a TV movie, but then at the same time, it feels like a film mirage, like, or something like Welcome to Spring Break by Umberto Lenzi. It definitely feels like a lot of those Italian movies that were made in America towards uh, the Italian film cycle towards the later, you know, 80s and early 90s. It feels like kind of that deal. Um, but there's an explicit amount of nudity right in the beginning. I mean, there's girls, there's a shower, like group girl shower scene kind of walking and you see like full frontal not extreme but it's there and you're just like oh they don't care as much in australia but there's a lot of nudity a lot of sex so what we have here is a group of kids that are going to deal with of course a mad slasher on campus um it's pretty obvious who the mad slasher is i don't know if that's just because blu-ray or they couldn't really can hide it but right away it's no real secret i guess the secret would be who else is involved and how they got there and everything like that but uh yeah the kills are decent they're uh, not extreme but the whole movie 
in general is uh, pretty ridiculous. Um, and I caught myself enjoying it because of its audacity and absurdity and silliness, not intentional silliness. There is a ridiculous scene where the bullies are just some of the dialogue between the bullies and the main guys are it's just awful. It's just hilariously bad. It's just so much pent-up sexual tension between them. Um, overall, Blood Moon is worth a look. I, I I wouldn't give this a wholehearted recommend, but I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed my time with it. It's fun. It's silly. And if you're like running out of slashers to watch, this one, you could do a lot worse. The lead guy in here, as far as like the, the main kind of teacher, the biology teacher, he's really good. This guy is in a, tons and tons of movies. He looks kind of like a heavier Don Kafka from um, uh, Return of the Living Dead or something along those lines he's solid in this movie everybody's uh pretty shaky except the two kind of school masters they're both really good um the younger people are, are a little shaky but it's the dialogue is really cheesy and everything like that as far as the special features are concerned we have film uh, buffs forecast audio interview with actor leon lessick conducted in 2000 by paul harris and mark hartley that's on the commentary track that's really good it talks about his career and who he worked with and how everything from the very beginning interview with actress christina armoire from not quite hollywood and that's like uh from the documentary not quite hollywood she's really funny she's really interesting like i said i'm I, i'm impressed by the amount of sex and nudity in this movie um overall and, and i'm in, i guess i am impressed with the quality of entertainment that it gave me i didn't really know what to expect but but when you think these like latter-day slashers you will think something like welcome to spring break or or blood moon or there's a couple that were in my head that just one just felt 110 percent just like um and like those late 80s slasher movies all have that kind of same goofy vibe and this is no different even though it's from Australia. Next one up is Invasion USA from 1985, directed by Joe Zito, who directed stuff like Friday the 13th Part 4, The Prowler, uh, Red Scorpion, Blood Rage from 80, and uh, this stars Chuck fucking Norris. This is a canon movie, that's right. It also has Richard fucking Lynch. Can't go wrong with Richard Lynch and Chuck Norris. Also has a small role from Billy Drago and a couple other familiar faces here. This movie is complete nonsense. Now, I know I've talked about Chuck Norris before and people are like, Dave, but you know I'm not a big fan of Chuck Norris and I've got to go, kind of go back on that. Listen, I like a lot of Chuck Norris's movies. I don't think he's the greatest actor ever, but I kind of went, I loved him as a kid. Then I kind of started fading out and I'm coming back to Chuck Norris. The only one I think is an overall piece of shit in his films and outside his films is Steven Seagal. Do not like Steven Seagal. I like some of his movies, but Steven Seagal sucks. He's the only action hero, action star I don't care for. That says anything to anybody, not that it matters. But Invasion USA. So, uh, of course, Chuck Norris is like a retired kind of guy. He's a badass. He's great at everything. He's just a rattlesnake, ready to whoop ass, ready to strike. Um, so what happens is Richard Lynch hates Chuck Norris. They have a vendetta against each other. He has nightmares about the guy killing him because they have a, a, a past together. So Richard Lynch is the leader of this uh, crazy international like terrorist sect. This is a lot like Red Dawn, right? When like Cuba and Russia invade the United States. Like That's like the we're going to try to portray this realistically, but in the funny way, Invasion USA with its quirkiness and over-the-topness and the people just reacting the way they do seems like the chaos and just the unorganization of everything seems like Invasion USA would be more likely. So Richard Lynch brings, he invades United States of America. They uh, bring a group of terrorists that look like they're all from Troma's War and they load up in trucks and go to different cities in the United States and start blowing up shit, killing people. And Chuck Norris seems to be everywhere uh, enough to stop them. Um, what I really like about this, besides you know the action being completely over the top, the violence being over the top, just complete and utter nonsense, the set pieces, the explosions, the, the, the stunts, everything. I love all that stuff. The shootout, 
thoughts is that besides Lynch, who's excellent in this movie and is excellent in every movie he's ever been in as a baddie, um, is that they take the time to sprinkle in bad guys in the background. Now, a lot of these bad guys you see throughout the entire movie, and then they get picked off here and there. Like, there's hundreds of terrorists, but there's a couple in there that you're like, oh, it's that dude. It's that guy. It's that guy. And it just makes it all a little bit more fun when Chuck Norris takes out one of the guys that you've been watching fuck shit up for a long time. So you're like, oh, yeah, Norris took that guy out, or Norris has taken this guy out. Overall, I think Invasion USA is an absolute blast. It's infamous for, obviously, um, I know that uh, Pick 6 movies talked about it. They mentioned the uh, the Coke, uh, uh, like, struggle going up the girl's nose and everything. Pretty crazy shit. Um, uh, the special effects artists were actually Greg Nicotera, Hardberger, and Tom Savini, which is great because there's a special feature on here talking to them. And they're all candid about it. They all seem very cool. See, Joe Zito used uh, um, Tom Savini a lot. He used him on Friday 4 and he used him on Red Scorpion as well. Um, but I love Joe Zito's movies. Um, I wish he made 100 movies because I've enjoyed almost everything he did. There's a lot of those directors that did that. Like Fred Decker. I wish Fred Decker made 100 movies. As long as they weren't all RoboCop 3, I'd be fine. I wish Danny Steinman made 100 movies. You know, there's so many guys that made two or three really cool fucking movies and then just didn't make much more, or they five or six or ten, but then, you know, they, they're out of the genre you like. But Invasion USA, a lot of fun. Um, the, the climax at the end is amazing. Um, Chuck Norris is good in it, too. He's got a lot of good lines. I'm going to hit you with so many rights. You wish I hit. You wish I threw in a left or something like that. Norris made me laugh in this one. Is a lot like his one-line delivery. Him and Arnold both have that thing going on. They're they're pretty good at it. No, I'm coming around on Norris. This is probably his best movie, honestly, Invasion USA. Okay, now here's a guy that I never had to come around on. I always loved him, always will. And that's Charles fucking Bronson. E. E, what you... Uh, anyways, this is Death Wish 1 on 4K from Kino Lorber. Now, I've covered the other Death Wish movies on here. I even covered the remake and Death Sentence on this channel within the last five or six years, seven years. So this is the only one that I haven't covered yet. So glad that it has a 4K, directed by Michael Winter, 1974. Uh, Charles Bronson, and it has some other people. Vincent Gardenia is in here. Love Gardenia. Um, and a slew of other very familiar faces, including Redding from, um, uh, one for the cuckoo's nest. So, uh, if nobody's familiar with Charles Bronson in Death Wish, then I don't know what to tell you. But the story of Death Wish is as follows. Essentially, Paul Kersey is an architect, and him, he has a wife and a daughter. They all live in New York. The crime rate's skyrocketing. There's muggers, there's rapists, there's thieves, there's all sorts, everything you can imagine, right? It's New York City in the 70s, baby. Uh, protect yourself. So what happens is uh, one day when Charles Bronson is at work, uh, a couple of thugs, uh, three of them, one of which is played by Jeff Goldblum, attack and rape uh, the sexual assault the daughter and kill the wife. This puts Charles Bronson at a real, real uh, uh, hard spot, let's be honest. And he, his character is kind of interesting because he always said that it'd be much better if Dustin Hoffman played him. And you can really see that because Dustin Hoffman is kind of like your left-leading kind of character type in a lot of films. And he's like straw dogs, if you look at that, from 71. He's got to find his like masculinity quote if you're looking at films and stuff like that and, and fight back against them. I will not stand in violence against this house. You know, a lot of times that movie is put wrongfully as a rape-revenge film. There is rape in it, and there is revenge in it, but it's not a rape-revenge film. Um, but, you know, he said that Dustin Hoffman should play this role more than him because of the kind of character type. But for some reason, putting Bronson in this role just brought, like, a weird kind of quality to it. And he's so good in this to me. He has a demeanor about it. And a lot of people complain that when he tries to be emotional, it doesn't work. But I think it kind of does. I mean, if you look at something like The Searchers, 
when John Wayne's family is massacred, they just zoom up on his face and all you see is like a slight move. I remember that John Carpenter made reference to that in the commentary. You know, instead of having him do the, ah, ah, he's just, you know. And and they come from that long line of, you know, that that keep quiet, keep it to yourself. I'm not saying it's healthy, but it's it's not inaccurate. It really is not inaccurate, I'll tell you that. Um, so, so what Bronson does is, uh, dealing with his daughters, who's kind of going to a catatonic state and his son-in-law who constantly calls him dad, he kind of plays a really thankless role because he's needed, but he's also very annoying and he just doesn't seem to have much, uh, uh, drive or know what to do in a situation like that. And can you blame him? But, you know, looking at it from the outside as a film viewer, you're like, fuck that guy. But in reality, in real life, you'd be like, well, it's a tough situation. I don't know what you do. Um, kind of like when people get mad at Steven and Dawn of the Dead, it's like, that's probably probably most of us right you guys aren't going to be a crack shot sniper SWAT guy you're going to be the guy who you know ate four cheeseburgers a week for the last 20 years who can't shoot a gun right that's what most of us are going to be but uh so Bronson decides to go out and first he tries distraction with work and he visits uh you know I think it's a southwest and he 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 gets his passion back for guns and he explains who he was and where his, his, his family came from. And that's a great little side piece, you know, the two coins. Cause I think that a lot of times people are those two pieces of their parents, either the mother or their father. If they have good parents that one doesn't dominate over the other one, you kind of get hopefully the best of both. Sometimes you get some bad spots too when they're from them. But, uh, he, he's kind of listening and he mentions that, uh, he hasn't touched a gun since his father was killed and he's a crack shot and he gets a gift from this guy. And as he leaves, Bronson kind of decides on the whim what he's going to do. And he goes out at night carrying groceries or looking vulnerable and shooting the muggers. This causes a crazy stir um, with the media, with the police force, with muggers in general. Muggings are down. They don't want to say that, though. And Vincent Gardenia is a police officer who's on the case. He's great in Little Shop of Horrors, Moonstruck, Death Wish 2, uh, Cold Cold Turkey. Uh, just a great actor. I always loved him. Always loved seeing him. He's good in this, too. So basically what happens is uh, bureaucracy in a lot of ways, but uh, I just love seeing Bronson walk down the street carrying a grocery bag and have the gun, boom, you know? It's it's such an iconic stuff here. This is one of these gritty New York movies. The ending with the gun pointing is, is fucking gold. And I'm not saying that I believe in vigilanteism. I mean, but I don't think that there's ever been a time in any person's life where they thought, man, I'd really like to hurt that person who hurt that kid or killed or hurt my friend or anything like that. It is a fantasy. It is a fantasy of people. And this can be cathartic to get your revenge out through a movie. I would have done that. I, hopefully, I don't think it inspires people to do these things. If anything, it's an outlet to stop them. Uh, but uh, as the series continued, of course, part two is directed by Winner, so is three, and they get more and more ridiculous. Two actually gets actually more exploitative, for sure, has some familiar faces in there even more so, and then three becomes an all-out all action, crazy insanity, while four kind of takes a step back um, a little bit, maybe, it's even more ridiculous, it feels like it comes right from a Punisher comic, and then part five, he's older, so he's more of the mechanic in that, using weapons and everything, and of course there was the remake with Bruce, Bruce Willis, which is okay, and then there was the um, Death Sentence by James Wan, which is a sequel to the original Death Wish book, made into a film adaptation which is an excellent movie too with kevin bacon and john goodman i really recommend that one so the history of death wish and its series man this is a great film paul talbot does the commentary and i listened to some of that great commentary from what i could hear i wish i would have listened to the whole thing but i've been i was in a rush today um but he talks about the other movies that it inspired and they're all movies i absolutely love he talks about you know 
Bronson in this film and how, what, what his clothes were like and his design, all that kind of shit. So it's just a really good film with a good commentary. There's also an interview with actor John uh, Hertzfeld on there. So I really recommend checking out uh, Death Wish if you've never seen it. Pick up the 4K. Uh, pick up all the Death Wishes, the first five at least, and Death Sentence I would recommend. The other one, uh, the remake, it's okay. It's not great, but it's okay. So check out Death Wish 1974 in 4K. It looks great. Sounds great. You got a 5.1 mix on there if you don't want to hear the original audio as well. All right. Now this is kind of be a new introduction kind of thing, a new thing I might be doing a little bit. No no weekly video for it. But um, since I've been going through the 80s, ooh, I kind of realized uh, that... There's going to be some times when I miss movies. Like, oh, you missed something from 1980, you miss something from 1983 when I'm going through all these movies. And I want to have some sort of way to come back and, and watch those films so I'm not missing out on absolutely everything, if that makes any sense. Sometimes movies aren't released, sometimes they don't have subtitles, and sometimes you just miss them. So uh, the first one up is going to be um, Gollum from 1980. This is part of the... Um, Apocalypse uh, Tetralogy, tetra Tetralogy with four films in here. And the first one is Gollum from 1980. It's listed as kind of like a sci-fi comedy fantasy thing. So I figured I, that one sounds like it might be something horror enough to watch. So, and Gollum obviously being the classic Jewish monster in mythology. So this is a post-apocalyptic movie, as the uh, title of this set suggests. This is a weird one. I don't even know how to go about it, so it's going to be very vague. The look of it, you know, it's very, very... Uh, sad it looks very eastern european if that makes any sense to anyone but that's what it looks like very eastern european uh gloomy and depressing in this post-apocalyptic society so it keeps cutting back we are introduced to this guy named pernat who is this bald gentleman and he's confused he doesn't really know where he's at he's in this hotel room or he's in this police investigation at first and he's like i'm not this person i don't i don't know who i am yada 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 and he goes to get checked out and they give him the wrong clothes these aren't my clothes they ignore him, and as he leaves, he's kind of confused, not sure what to do, what's going on, and he kind of goes back to his apartment, and he's running into all sorts of strange people, including this girl and her family that make these kind of dolls, and the idea of a golem, you expect that the dolls are a simile between him and those 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 uh, those straw dolls in the store. Um and as you learn that there's a keeps cutting back to government officials who are arguing amongst each other that says he, he may start acting more human until eventually he um he he rebel rebels and it goes on and on and on until that pays off at the very end and you kind of realize there is a cover-up there all this kind of stuff and whatnot but uh a, a bizarre film uh inter interesting film um, a well-made film, a well-acted film, one that you would probably want to watch a couple times to grasp the entirety of it, to pick up on things that you didn't notice the first time, because I guarantee you, like, oh, shit, I didn't realize that he had this card, or whatever. There's going to be a lot of that in this one. But Gollum, I would recommend. Looks good, sounds good, um, looks very depressing, has that look that you would expect, you know, Eastern European look, like no mercy, no future, or possession, or something like that, but even more so, because it has like almost like a, a bottom of a fish tank. Like, ah, I'm in a fucking fish tank that hasn't been cleaned out for six years. There we are. Or like a pool, an abandoned pool in the backyard, an above-ground abandoned pool that's just full of green slime and maybe a hint of blue still left. That's what Gollum feels like. All right, let's hop into those 1981 movies. Woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell, because through that gateway, evil will invade the world.
say on a Valentine's Day is a curse that'll live on and on. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. In this little town, when the 14th comes round, there's a silence and fear in the air. Remember the morn that the legend was born All the shock and the horror was there Or oh, the legend they say on a Valentine's Day Is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know as the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. All right, the first one up from 1981 is also part of this apocalypse tetra technology. Tetralogy. I'm not saying it anymore, guys. I'm tired, I'm old, and I'm dying. Leave me alone. But this is War of the Worlds, the next century. And obviously, right in the beginning, it says dedicated to uh, Orson Welles and H.G. Wells, two great names to dedicate a film to, right? So this has a sci-fi flair. This has a dark comedy flair. But this is really kind of just sad, too, at the same time. So we follow this guy. I can't remember his name. Ian Aholm. And basically, I can't think of his name, but he essentially is a newscaster and he plays kind of this buffoon. He puts on a wig and he says these kind of random things and then he's like this little tune plays. And this is a few days, 13 days after Martians have invaded Earth. Now the Martians come in peace, they say, but they really just want to be our friend. They're teaching us civilized behavior, but they are draining us of our blood. And it becomes this Tolterian society, just like Gollum. And and it's essentially, you have to follow suit. So this guy goes from being a semi-well-off uh, news kind of guy to a completely broken individual who stands up against the Martians and stands up against everything. And no matter how far he pushes back, no matter how many truths he spews, no one will listen until the tide is ready to turn. You can't force it to turn because... As many people as they believe are not sheep, they basically are sheep in this movie. Even the people, when they do change for the good, they're just following suit. They're never thinking. There's no free thinkers. So it all starts at the very beginning when he is given a script from his boss. And they say, you're changing the script now. And he says, what? He doesn't want to do it. He argues a little bit that day. That night, somebody comes in and kidnaps his wife and cuts down his house and puts a metal thing in his ear saying that you basically worship the Martians and all these kind of things. Um, what's really messed up about this movie is um, just this guy going through hell, walking the streets and everything. And he seems to be the only altruistic person in the entire planet. But guess what happens to altruistic people? They become martyrs. They become scapegoats. They become martyrs that no one knows they're a martyr. They become scapegoats is, is the proper term. <laughs> and I think I like this one better than Gollum. I think that it has more to say. I, I Both movies are really good. Gollum requires another watch. But I think this movie has more to say on surface, on, on the first viewing. And I think it's genius. I think it's intelligent. Um, and I think it's depressing in a hilarious kind of way. Um, but the acting by the lead is great in here. The acting is great by everybody. A lot of familiar faces from Gollum. They share a lot of the same kind of cast in here. But I would really recommend checking this out. There's two more films on here I look, I'm looking forward to checking out. Gaga and Obai Obey. 
uh, OB, OBA, I mean. So one's from 84 and 85, so I'll definitely get to those when I get a chance. Great stuff. Next one up is another one from 81. I'll be relatively quick with this because I'm going to cover the 1979 version too. So this essentially is a 1979 movie named Island of the Fishmen, directed by Sergio Martino. And they basically, New World Pictures picked it up. That's Corman's company. They recut it. They added an opening. They added, a, they updated some of the effects, cut some of the downtime down. The uh, effects they updated were a creature kind of Black Lagoon kind of deal. I think Joe Dante was involved with shooting that scene. But the opening of this is all brand new. The opening is from 81 and it stars the likes of uh, um, Mel Farah, Cameron Mitchell, and there's another person in that opening too. Cameron Mitchell, Mel Farah. Oh geez, I feel like somebody else is there too. So basically, that's what the opening is, is in there. And it looks like they used a lot of stuff from Humanoids from the Deep the year prior. But uh, the opening of this film is gory, it's violent, it's about a shipwreck group of people. Four of them, they get massacred by some monsters in a cave. Pretty awesome special effects. Great stuff. So we kind of fast forward to the regular movie and we have like a prison group of people. It's a period piece uh, being led by, geez, who is the leader of this group? I can't think. He's an actor that is in a bunch of stuff. But regardless, he is, uh, geez, who is it? Is it Hugo Sticklitz? I could have swore it's Hugo Sticklitz. No, it's uh, Casanelli. Uh, he's not listed. Oh, Claudio Casanelli. Jeez, I had to. The, the, the Sergio Martino regular. He's a doctor and he's leading these prisoners. And right off the bat, a couple of the prisoners bite it. They end up making it to this camp led by, ran by Richard Johnson. And he's this crazy kind of doctor doing experiments. And he's trying to find some gold, uh, the lost gold of Atlantis, right? Kind of reminds me a little bit of Raiders of Atlantis, but not so, not not exactly. But more so reminds me of Zombie, because the same year, 1979, Richard Johnson was a crazy doctor doing experiments on people or trying to figure a cure for the zombie uh, in Zombie. So it's so much similarities between Island of the Fishmen and Zombie. Which one's better? Obviously, Zombie. Island of the Fishmen's not too great. Screamers version probably a little bit better because it has that opening. But overall, this is not necessarily a 1981 movie, but I wanted to feel as a completist to watch this, and I already did watch Doctor Butcher, MD, which. Was released in 81, which is originally a zombie holocaust 1980, but different cut. So, boom, I'm watching even recuts of movies that were put out. But uh, Screamers as a whole is okay. As it progresses, we we get like the fish are not as well done, like they're just kind of crummy looking. But there's rare, there's rare that it's a creature from Black and Good movie in general. So, I kind of dig some of that. Um, there's a lot of funny stories on here in the special features. There's a bunch of interviews on here. First, we have interviews to Joe Dante, Miller Drake, Jim Wynorski, Roger Corman, and Clark Henderson. And they're talking about editing this movie, picking this movie up, and Wynorski basically. Basically, had to cut the trailer, and he shot a whole new scene that's not even in the movie. It's like Screamers. Watch a man turn inside out. It's a great trailer, but it was never in the movie. And people got really pissed off, so they cut it in some reels, and some of the reels or some of the uh, prints of the movie, so that's in there. But unfortunately, that's that footage is not in this release, and it's kind of been lost or, or not found or whatever it was. But anyway, Screamers from 1981, it's okay. Great title. Uh, watch a man turn inside out. You will not. You will see some fishmen. You will see Cameron Mitchell. You will see Joseph Cotton show up at the end and be old and be like, he retired a couple of years. I think he retired at 81 and lived for a few more years in old folks home, if I'm not mistaken. But Joseph Cotton's in a million horror movies. He's in this one as well. Barbara Box in here. She's a good actress. She's in Great Alligator River. So it's got a great cast. If you look at the Barbara Bach, Richard Johnson, Joseph Cotton, Mel Ferrer, Cameron Mitchell, Kali Alcassanelli, that's a good cast for this movie. Um, the movie overall is okay. It's all right. It's not too bad. Okay, next up, as a Patreon pick, somebody told me to pick a partner label I haven't seen in my choice, so I picked Pig Killer, directed by Chad Farron, who did Parasites and Unspeakable. It's been a long time since I watched Unspeakable. But Pig Killer, this basically is the story of Willie Pigton. Yeah, the pig farming serial killer from Canada who had 49 victims, 49 prostitute victims. Yeah, this is a weird one. Uh, Jake Busey. 
of all people, plays Willie Picton. And Jake Busey's a much better looking man than Willie Picton was. Um, Lou Temple's also in here. James Russo has a cameo. There's some other familiar faces in here too, which is a lot of fun. Who else we got? Um, uh, Bay Ling. Um, I feel like I'm missing somebody. But anyways, Chad Farron is a pretty solid independent director. Makes low budget movies. I really like the movie he did Parasites, which, which who put that out? Um, uh, geez, boy, 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 boy. Terrorvision put that one out. Um, and it's a pretty decent movie from what I remember. But Pig Killer. I was interested in this one. I usually don't buy a lot of contemporary horror films. Sorry, without watching them first. But Pig Killer was a, uh, I was like, kind of the guts on that person to make a serial killer movie about Willie Picton this close in. But yeah, this is almost an hour and 45, hour 50 minutes. It kind of runs on the long side. And it's got a weird tone. Like, part of it, part, partially it's serious, but it has like a, a weird kind of element of comedy. And that might just be because Willie Picton is such a goofy person in real life and in this film. But uh, Jake Busey plays Picton, and he has obviously like flashbacks to his mom and his dad. Ginger Lynn plays his mom. And there's obviously some nasty stuff involving them. And the father, who is highly abusive. But Willie Picton, all he likes to do is pick up prostitutes take them back home murder and rape them throw these giant elaborate crazy parties with drugs and alcohol and food um but yeah there's there's a lot of crazy weird places in this stuff in this movie his interactions with the prostitutes seem like drug-fueled nonsensical comedy at times i don't even know how to go about it but uh stick around for after the credits because there is a cameo by somebody and this probably it's it's probably close to verbatim what happened out to lunch if you've ever heard him talk or ever heard the last podcast on the left about willie picton uh, they keep saying that, like in the in the transcripts and stuff, he just keeps saying "out to lunch." Oh, it's out to lunch, and uh, I think Jake Busey does a pretty solid job, honestly, for what you for for. I, I don't think he's doing an impression of the character; he's kind of doing his own thing. But I think he does a decent job. And overall, I thought Pig Killer was worth a look. There's a lot of needle drops that work well. Uh, the main character here is like a. a kind of a girl that a drug abuser who has a lot of problems and everything and she's kind of semi-interesting uh robert miano plays her father he's in parasites and a million other movies he's an open house the silly slasher from the 80s there's another one that reminds me of uh you know uh, blood moon open house but uh overall i think that pig killer is worth a look there's a decent amount of features on here behind the scenes with ginger lynn behind the scenes with michael Pare. of course he plays a police detective good good role for him deleted alternate scenes q a from cine cine excess pig mask progress Canadian Bacon, The Making of Pig Killer, Spunky the Pig, Star of Pig Killer. There is some uh, puppet pig, and he's played by a real pig at times, which is uh, basically Willie's buddy who hangs around with him. Pretty crazy stuff. Uh, Kate Patel, Willie Screen Test, Pig Killer, Auditions, and Trailer. Yeehaw! There we go. This is not from 2000. I think that is a mistake. I think this one was more from 2022. But uh, yeah, Pig Killer. Check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley. Alright, let's get these questions, comments, concerns, all that jazz. Ken Coakley. Last week, someone in the comments asked what your least favorite Ken Russell movie was. For uh, for a time, Listomania had been my least, but it grew on me. The film came out of the same year as my favorite Ken Russell film, Tommy. Both films starred Robert Daldry of The Who. Listomania was a bizarre biography of a Hungarian composer, Franz Liszt. As in most of his movies, Russell takes a bit of a swipe at religion by casting Ringo Starr as the Pope. In one scene, there's a painting of a Catholic heroes that are made to look like the Who. It was full of nudity, and that was why I didn't like it. I was also offended by Paul Nicholas's portrayal of Robert Wagner as a vampire than a Frankenstein horrible person from Austria hybrid monster. 
but I have come to accept those scenes as Russell's use of surrealism. That same year, he released my favorite of his films, Tommy, which is based on 1969 rock opera by The Who. Robert Daltrey plays a title role as a deaf, dumb, and blind boy. The disability was psychological as he witnessed his father being killed by his mother and her new husband. He could only see his reflection in the mirror. He eventually becomes well again and develops a messiah uh, complex, and people not knowing it wasn't a physical uh, malady, It wasn't a physical malady. Think he has cured via a miracle, so that they follow him and treat him like a messiah. They use merchandising to make millions. They even release posters of his image with black backdrop to mimic the mysterious picture from Jesus shrouded in Turin. The there was a good cast with Eric Clapton, Elton John, Tina Turner, Oliver Reed, and Margaret Jack Nicholson, who sings in the film. Before I go, I want to recommend a new movie, The Iron Claw. It's a movie that I thought would never get made. The film is a true story about the Von Erich family, who are professional wrestlers. They were riding high in the early 80s. All the sons became wrestlers. When I was 16, David Van Erich inspired me to be a professional wrestler, but in February 1984, he died. So did my dreams of entering the square circle. I won't spoil the rest, but bring a box of tissues because you will be crying. I do know the story of the Von Erichs, unfortunately. Very sad for them. I, I grew up, I remember Texas Tornado. That's the guy I remember. Um, he was Yvonne Eric. Hudson, 3838. That's why I love going to the cinema. The movie just sucks you in and you forget all the shit that's going on in the world and any problems you may have. It's like the best therapy a man or woman can get. That may be right. Stephen Hyde, love your views. There are so many films I had no idea existed that you have reviewed and turned out to be really good. Gracias. Thank you. Uh, Horse Cinema, love Clash of the Titans. Saw it in theaters as a kid, 1981. Another great creepy scene with the Charon and the Ferryman as they cross the River Styx. It's a great movie. Um... Thanks again. Evil Genius has been doing these key takeaways from Harp, and I put up some of the Harp AI stuff, and I think it's cool. It basically breaks down your video and does key points from a transcript. Very cool. Norway Sun, The Church and the Labyrinth and the League of Their Own, very atmospheric and moody movies. Great stuff. Elk Vomit, uh, Clash of the Titans is straight goaded. There was an actual... There was an actual... Actual... There was an actual action figure line, that's hard to say, that came out around the time that movie did. It didn't last long at all, and the line did poorly. Now they are highly sought-after collectibles that go for insane money on the secondary market. And I'll admit, the remake and its sequel are total guilty pleasures of mine. Explosive Actions, Special Silencers is an absolute madness from director Arizal. Magic pills that uh, cause trees to grow in your stomach, bump it to the top of your Ready 2 list. It'll be up there, high up. Way Up Dude, um, gives me a little heart wave, thank you. Zombie, uh, uh, what is that? Zami Adams. I thought Saltburn was amazing. I'm glad you liked it. It was cool. Nick Mua from Belgium. The OG Clash of the Titans is just coo- uh, cookie enough. You have to kooky enough. You have to love it. The remake and the sequel are a bit uh, meh, even though Ralph Fiennes is fine in those movies as the villain. Now you're giving the church two thumbs up. I'll just have to acquire it. But who doesn't love Theodore Chalopin Jr. being creepy? Questions. Do you think the sword and the sorcery genre is dead and gone? They just don't seem to make the anymore. Not very well, anyways. Uh, I don't know if it's dead and gone. Is any genre completely dead? They sparingly come out. But I would say that, like, the typical, like, you're not going to see something like Conan come out and be as violent. Um, they're dead as we know. We knew it. Um, besides the Warlock franchise, do you know any more uh, sorcery and horror movies? No. Or, like, many more sorcery and horror movies. How oh, Isn't that... What's that one? Superstition probably has a little bit. Um, witchery. But, uh, like, wit- war- Warlock, though. Leprechaun. Honestly, the Leprechaun uses that shit more than anyone in the Wishmaster. That's pretty much it. When you're talking Warlock, Wishmaster and Leprechaun use a lot of the things. Maybe even Pinhead in Hellraiser movies. Um, the Friday 13th Part 2 review was excellent. Did you ever see the Friday franchise doc, Crystal Lake Memories? Of course, it's been years, though. Good episode per usual. Can't wait till the next one. Take care. Thank you. How about a tour of your collection? In time. In time. I may be moving, so I'll do one before. We'll see. We will see. We shall see. Uh, before I uh, get into... 
this, I, I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'll just do the update here. There's only two titles here. We have uh, Lords of the Deep from Scream Factory. This is one of the late 80s, 89 movies that they rushed out after they realized there was going to be a bunch of underwater movies, the Corman ones. Here it's not great, but I've probably seen part of this years ago, and I'm looking forward to rewatching it. And then here's another one here. We have Wheels of Terror and Raiders of the Sun double feature. These look like a lot of fun. They were on sale for 20 so I picked them up. Yeah, that's it. We're out of here. All right, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one. Yeah.